It does so much for me. It's so good for me to be with you, sing to Jesus. Thanks for singing your hearts out. We're going to look just a few moments. Philippians chapter 3. So you can turn there. You can look at the table of contents in the front of your, your word if you need to. I have to do that sometimes. You can pull it up in your device, whatever. But Philippians chapter 3, we're going to jump back into uh, the second half of our study of the book of Philippians this morning. Before we do that, uh, just as just a bit of a family moment, I just want to say thank you so much to you as a church. Uh, as we were able to participate in this angel tree uh, serving opportunity over Christmas, it's been so cool uh, just to get some feedback, not even intentionally. I haven't had to go and like shake the bushes and go, how did it really go? Uh, just to hear people talking in conversation about how their hearts were touched to, to see what happens when we actively take our lives and put them in places of great need and be the hands and feet of Jesus serving other people. How it touched those people, but how it also just, man, it really shapes us to appreciate our Jesus and to want to live his love out all the more. And so I appreciate you so much. I've heard really cool stories. I know my community group uh, itself, uh, our whole group slammed into a, a small den with a family, and it was just a sweet, sweet moment of just meeting with them and talking with them and their love and even their generosity to offer some stuff they couldn't use to anybody who could use it. It was just great, man. It was just super cool. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, we've developed some uh, new but ongoing relationships with at least a couple of those families. And so just keep praying for those folks and just keep lifting them up to God. But I just want to say thank you for your heart uh, of generosity and thank you for your courage to take your feet and actually go serve uh, and do that. That was absolutely awesome. I'll tell you that uh, years ago, I was 15, as I recall, maybe 14, but I think I was 15. Myself and my two best friends, we decided that we were going we to participate in a three-on-three -three basketball tournament. It was, was about six foot four, probably, at that point at 15. He was just a big, tall dude, and he was just a monster on the court. He was just a great basketball player. And so it's kind of like we've got him on our team. We're going to be fine. We kind of knew all the guys in the church, so we were like, we kind of know, you know, humbly, with it, but it's also not good to be dishonest. The truth is we're all on the front. We went to the cross section and bought some googly eyes, and we cut off one sleeve of our jerseys and put the googly eyes on it and wore them like headbands and had a little googly eye looking at you while we're guarding you, right? We, we just thought it was just going to be the biggest cakewalk ever. We got my best friend's mom, which I'm now questioning her love for me that I'm thinking about it, but she took us to Domino's, and she got each one of the three of us our own personal large flat uh, or thin crust pepperoni Domino's pizza. So right before we went to this tournament, we each ingested an entire large uh, thin crust pepperoni pizza. And man, we got out of the van. I, I'll never, we got out of the van like, hey, we were so excited. We were going in there to dominate this deal. And we walked in and it was really apparent to us really quickly. We had no idea what we were getting into. Some other people from around the church and around the community had caught wind of a tournament, had caught wind of some, some prizes they were giving away, and the competition was not what we thought the competition would be. I mean, those guys were there, but they were all sitting on the wall looking at us like about to cry, like, where's my blank blank, all right? They were wanting to just cuddle up because there was some real deal ball players. And I'll never forget, we were talented enough, we were good enough, but we went two and out. It was double elimination. We went two and out. And I remember thinking, I've accomplished something today just by not throwing up pizza on this court in front of everybody. Like, man, I just felt horrible. It was so embarrassing. It was absolutely demoralizing. These three guys who just campaigned in here like some silly goofballs who thought it was going to be cake, and it ended up being horrible. I learned to respect my competition from there forward. But, but I think that's a clear picture for what happens in our lives a lot is, is that when we 
wrongly base our confidence, we end up in places of failure and frustration. When we focus or build our our confidence upon the things that aren't the right things, and we've got this inflated confidence, this self-assurance inside of us that there are going to be good outcomes in life, that the things are going to go the way that I'm aiming for them to go because of my skills and ability, because of this person who's for, for whatever, for these reasons that are not the right reasons. Wrongly founded confidence often leads to our failure and our frustration. We're going to see that today as we jump back into our Bible study series that we simply just called happy. Are you? Question mark. Are you happy? Because here's the thing. Religious, legalistic mindset would would kind of tell us that asking, hey, are you happy? Hey, hey, does God care if you're happy? That almost feels so superficial, doesn't it? Because we know innately that our happiness is not the most important thing in the world. We know that our happiness is not everything to God. But what we're seeing as we walk through the book of Philippians is that God absolutely does care about our happiness more than we could have ever imagined. He cares about our happiness so much more than we do. We're seeing that he wants us to be happy and he wants to teach us how to be happy and happy in the right things and happy in the right ways. As we see this word over and over again in the study of Philippians, this word joy. We've said that joy is just an intense, resilient happiness that's available only in and through Jesus. It's a happiness, it's a gladness, but it's got a different strength about it. It's intense and it's got a staying power about it that can't be swayed by the things that life throws at us as much. It's resilient and it's that because it's founded in Jesus and it comes from Jesus. We find it in relationship with him. It's what we've seen so far. We've made our way through two chapters of Philippians. Paul writing from prison to a church that he helped to found, a church that he loves. And if you remember where we left off at the end of chapter 2, there was a lot of really cool, great stuff going on in the first couple of chapters. But also what was true at the end of chapter 2, as Paul gave us these two positive examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, he was going, hey, look at this. These guys are awesome. Be like this. That was cool. But at the same time, there was a whole lot of stress going on at the end of chapter 2. You remember? Uh, the church at Philippi was distressed because they had heard that this guy they sent from their church to Paul, Epaphroditus, they had heard that he was sick and near death. And so they're just fretting about it and all kind of nervous. They're getting wrecked about it. And then Epaphroditus hears that they're distressed about it, and he gets super concerned and distressed about their distress. So he's, oh my goodness, he's worn out about what they're worn out about about him. And then Paul, who loves Epaphroditus, is going, man, here's the deal. I'm distressed now because he's distressed because you're distressed about him. There was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of tension, a lot of hard stuff going on at the end of chapter 2, which I think is a really neat and fitting backdrop for the beginning of chapter 3 says this, this verse that I've asked you to commit to memory as we go through this series. Uh, it's been the holidays. We've eaten a lot of sugar. We've lost some sleep. So it's okay if we don't all remember it. But we're going to try to say it together. We're going to do that awkward thing where we don't all say it at the same time. And we get to the end and there's like two people left out there still saying the last two words. We're going to do that. All right. So here we go. One, two, three. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So this verse starts chapter 3 after we've just heard about all this distress. Paul says, finally, which is interesting to me, and I don't have a theological answer for you that he's only halfway done with everything that he's going to say. He's only starting the second half of the letter, and he's saying, finally, I don't know if he's 
a rambler like I can be at times. I don't know if he thinks he's about to wrap it up and then he remembers some stuff. Right, but he says, finally, I think we could say maybe, hey, most importantly, rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And it's no trouble for me to write this same thing to you again. See, in the first two chapters, it may have been easy for us to miss it, but in the first two chapters, Paul has mentioned the reality of joy, or he has mentioned the command, the active part of joy, rejoicing. He's mentioned those two things at least eight times already in two chapters. We, we miss that because we're studying it week by week, a few verses at a time. But remember, this letter would have been read all at one time. It was a letter to a church. The whole church would have been all brought together. The whole thing would have been read. So if you were hearing this, it would have taken way less time, just, just a few minutes probably to hear this whole letter. And, and already at halfway through, you've heard Paul say rejoice. You've heard Paul say, I have joy. You've heard him say, you take joy. He's talked over and over again about joy. And he's saying, now finally, importantly, you would think maybe he's going to Bring up something else he hasn't talked about yet. He's had that written down on his notes at the bottom as like, this is the closer. This is the big deal. I'm fixing to say this now that you haven't heard yet. But what he says is what he's already been saying. He goes, hey, here's the deal. The important thing is the thing that I've already been threading through you. And that is that there is absolute vibrant joy for you found in Jesus. So finally, rejoice in the Lord. It's not trouble for me to say that to you again. Notice that Paul is, is not shy. He's not worried about if they think he's talking about it too much. He's not worried about if they think it's superficial to consider whether they could have joy in God or not. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Notice also that this is not a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It's a good command from a good God to purposefully enjoy his goodness. It's something that we have to take actively, responsibly in our lives and go, I am called to rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes we're, we're going, hey, I don't sense God's nearness. I don't sense God's leadership. I'm not excited about God. There can be a lot of reasons for that. But sometimes the reason is because we're passively sitting back and we're like, well, God's not really wowing me right now. What you should be wowed about is the cross of Jesus Christ where he died to pay for your sins and redeem you. And the fact that he loves you so much that he would give you the commands to lead you and how to walk in the freedom that that cross provides for you. And he's telling you, you make a choice to rejoice. So before we go further, I think the, the loving encouragement to you, not the, the shame-blasted charge, but the, hey, please, brothers and sisters, please, to myself and my own soul, please let us decide, are we going to be a people who decisively commit to rejoicing in the Lord? says, rejoice in the Lord. It's not a trouble for me to write this to you again. And then he says an interesting thing there. And this is the reason my, I was drawn to us memorizing this verse from Philippians. He says, it's not trouble for me to tell you this again, and it is safe for you. It's safe for you. See, here's the deal. Rejoicing in God is not just all this, this kind of big boss pride mentality on God's part where he says, give me my glory. It's also a protective, beneficial, caring command for us in our lives and our hearts. Seeking happiness in God guards soul stability. Our souls find a stable walking path and, and a stable gate through life when we seek our happiness in God. 
Not our soul's salvation. That's secured at the cross of Jesus and our faith therein and our hoping in him and him alone. Our standing eternally before him is secure as it's ever going to be. Praise him. But our experience of walking through life, enjoying him, glorifying him, honoring him, and being glad to do it all, that is held secure. It's safe for us. It protects us to seek our happiness in God. Not just from God. God, what can you give me? What can you do for me? Yes, we should come to him with all of our needs. But do we first know what it is just to come to him to find him? (laughs) Just because he's him. We know what that looks like. Some of you have raised teenagers. You know, hopefully, maybe, you may not know, what it's like to have a teenager look at you and go, Hey, can we just go to the store together? Can we just go outside and play ball? Can we just, when a teenager looks at a parent and goes, hey, let's just hang out, it's hard for me to understand how any parent's heart wouldn't be like, you love me. (laughs) Like puppy dog heart, like, yes, 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 ah, let's do it. It's a crazy cool thing when a teenager says to a parent, let's just spend some time together. I just want to be where you are. I just want to hang out with you. But contrast that with the teenager that goes, hey, I need a ride to the mall or to class or to practice but I want you to drop me off here. And as the parent, you're going, well, I can see the practice field. I can barely see it, but I can see it. It's way up. There's your team. And they're going, I know, just just let me out here. Why? Because there's some reason they're a little embarrassed about being where you are. (laughs) So they don't really get excited in that moment about you. They're not really asking you for your presence. They're just asking you to get them where they need to be. Do you see the difference in that heart as we approach our Father is not just to say, God, get me where I need to be. God, can you take me and provide for me and do for me? But it's a heart that says, God, I want to just be with you. One morning this week, I believe it was Saturday morning, I I couldn't sleep. I woke up earlier than I wanted to, especially on a Saturday. Probably because I drank too much caffeine the night before. (sighs) Bad decision. I found myself here in my office Early in the morning, about 5 a.m., I was here for, I don't know, three hours or so. And, and part of that, somehow, I, I just wound up pulling up an old song, just a real simple song from, from a group that I used to listen to years and years ago. And I found myself just sitting in my office, and it was just such a sweet moment. And, and I was just singing. And even after the video of the song went off, I was just sitting there and just singing the same line over and over again. Take my heart and let it be offered, Lord, to thee. I was just over and over again. And there was just so much gladness in my heart just to be with God and just say to God, God, I'm just here and I just want you to know that I'm for you and I'm with you and I love you. Rejoice in the Lord when we seek God and go, hey, God, I want to be happy because I'm with you. He's not offended by that. It's not like we're going, hey, God, I'm not looking for you. I'm looking for happiness. Think about it, wives, when you have your husband sit across from you and go, it just makes me happy to be with you. Is he being selfish because he's talking about his happiness, or is he honoring you because he's going, you're awesome, and I like to be where you are, pretty girl. Right? When we say to God, God, I want to be glad in you, and I'm seeking my happiness in you, not in my performance at work. I'm seeking you not in what I'm able to gather for myself and build up for myself and the life I'm able to build. God, I'm seeking my happiness in you. And then, yes, you're going to bless me with a lot of things, and those will bring a smile to my face. But ultimately, all that is because it comes from you. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble to me to write these same things to you, and it is safe 
for you. Our souls will find stability when we find ourselves seeking our happiness in our God regularly, committedly seeking it. Now, if we're going to live that life, there's going to be plenty of opposition. See that in the next couple of verses. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul says, listen, I'm urging you to seek your happiness in your God, but because I love you with the heart of a pastor, because I love you with the heart of a big brother in the faith, I'm going to say to you, seek your happiness in God and know that you're going to be swimming upstream to do that. Know that there's going to be a current coming against you as you try to live that life that seeks your happiness in God. There are going to be people around you that are going to try to intentionally and maybe some unintentionally try to drag that down to remove that momentum that Godward momentum of your heart. He explains them. He calls them three things. He says they're dogs. We're inclined to hear that and not be super offended because we think of dogs as like cute little Fluffy who's in the house, right? My dog's name is Buddy, right? So we hear, we're like, hey, I could be like Buddy. That'd be cool, right? He just gets to hang out, sleep on the couch all day. He's happy, likes to play. He's a good dude, right? Dogs, though, in ancient times are much like dogs are probably often found now in third world countries or impoverished areas. Dogs were around, but they weren't really so much pets. And they looked skinny and mangy and unhealthy and uncared for. And because there was oftentimes not enough food to go around for the people, there certainly wasn't enough food to go around for the dogs. And so the dogs were just kind of an annoying presence there watching you, stalking you, ready to jump on any crumb you drop, looking for anything they could get from you. It says, look out for people who are watching you and they're ready to pounce on a moment of weakness, and you're seeking happiness in God. Watch out for that. These, these folks are evildoers, he says. It's not just that they're annoying. It's not that they're just doing something that goes against your preference. They are doing evil. We're going to hear about how in just a minute. But make sure you notice if somebody's trying to pull your heart away from finding your happiness in God, man, it might even be a brother and sister in Christ who's doing that, and they're their journey with Jesus may be sincere, but their action in that moment is something that's evil. There will be those people. He says, look out for those dogs, those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Here he's talking about circumcision, the covenant act that was given to God's people in the Old Testament. And here in the New Testament, they have come to understand that, that salvation and acceptance before God doesn't rest in any ritual or any covenant symbol. It rests in faith in this Jesus who's given you your hope. And yet there are others who are pushing all these requirements on people. And you got to understand that, that circumcision was the mark of this accepted covenant on your life, but it wasn't just a sign. It was like the entry door into this whole long list of commitments and laws and all the things that you had to do right and keep right to live honorably before God. And Paul's saying, listen, don't take that big, huge burden on yourself. These people who are trying to make you take that, they're not just about circumcision. They're about mutilation. <laughs> mutilation is physical force to a part of flesh that causes damage. Is anybody trying to pull you even to find God or find your happiness in God through the pathway of stringent religion that's apart from God? Anybody who's trying to pull you to honor him with your lives that in a way that's not built on response to who Jesus is, but it's built on your effort to get his eye. Anybody who's trying to pull you in that direction, listen, they're mutilators. He says, look out for them. Because 
It's we who are the circumcision. It's we who are the ones who are really God's people. It's we who have this hanging over our heart. What does he say we do? The we. He says we worship by the Spirit of God. So our worship is not just a, a dusty, dry, outward action. Our worship is what is compelled in us and led in us and produced in us by the presence of the person of the Spirit of God in us that's promised. We're in line with his heart. It's a it's a relational act for us to be worshipers in this room with our songs, but also with our decisions and with our lives and with our parenting. Be led by God. Lead others in God. Serve and worship him from the leading of his spirit. So we worship by the spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus. So when you ask us what are we wanting everybody to know about, what story do we want people to hear without a doubt from our lives, there may be some other funny moments or other some stories and things we'll share with them about us, but what's the overhanging headline that they have to hear if people are going to interact with you? Our glory, the thing we want to be glorified in our lives is not us, it's not our abilities, it's not our successes, it's Jesus. It says it's we who really belong to God, who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and Put no confidence in the flesh. Confidence is when we have self-assurance, when we assure ourselves that there are going to be good outcomes for us, when we assure ourselves that we are who we want to be and where we want to be and getting what we want things to be because of our abilities. It's self-assurance based on self-ability. Paul says, listen, I don't put confidence in the flesh. But he's going to tell us, love it, love this from Paul. He goes, hey, I don't play that game. I don't do the confidence in the flesh thing. I don't do compare your resume spiritually game. I don't do that. But then he goes, hey, just really quick, if you wanted to, if I was going to play that game, this is what my resume would look like. I'm better at it than, than you are. He goes, that game is useless, but just in case you're wondering how I know it's useless, let me just give you my track record. I'm better at it than you are, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul in elementary school fashion going, uh-uh, I'm better. <laughs> Verse 5, he's going to give us a list, and we're not going to belabor any one point, but we'll try to understand them. He says, these are things that are true about me. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He lays a list out, doesn't he? He says, first of all, I was circumcised on the sixth day. Like we said, circumcision was to be a mark of God's people. That was something they were supposed to do in ancient times. And he goes, hey, I did that, and I didn't just do it. I did it on the prescribed day, on the sixth day. Here's what Paul is saying. I do the right religious things at all the right times. And he says, but I don't put confidence in that. We do the right religious things at the right times, don't we? Maybe you've been baptized before. Maybe you find some, some sense of confidence for your life and feel goodism about yourself because you've attended a worship service with the church. Listen, we're so glad you're here. I just, just don't want you to feel that you're accepted by God because you show up in a gathering. You show up in a gathering because you're accepted by God. And you want to love on him with his people. He says, I've done the right religious thing at the right time. He says, I'm an Israelite. So he was part of the Israelite race. He was of the right chosen people. He was of the right race. Listen, he's, he's saying to us, I believe our practical application is, listen, if the color of your skin swells the, the tone of your heart, then you have a heart that is not right before our God. 
right? That there may be differences across cultures, across different ethnicities, but none of those is a reason to boast or be better. None of those is better. They're just different. He says, I was part of God's people. He says, I was a Benjamite, which was the elite tribe of Benjamin. It was one of the elite tribes for multiple reasons. So what elite people group might we belong to, the, the travel team that our kids own? I don't know if any of y'all even do travel ball, so I'm not aiming, okay? <laughs> but I do know, I've known people where it's like, man, I think you enjoy this travel thing more than he does, right? Like, I think if they lose, I'm worried not about him, but about you. You going to be all right? <laughs> right? Not, not what elite social club or organization have I been invited to participate in or I can afford to participate in. Not any elitist group would be a reason for us to walk around confidently having assurance about how things turn out with me. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. The, the 2023 Jason way to say this, maybe oversimplified in a nutshell, is that in a day and time when a lot of the Jewish people were Hellenized and having some newer ideas about what it meant to be Jewish, they were laxing some of their faith. He's saying, I'm old school. I'm old school Jewish. I'm the real deal. I do the real stuff. Keeping of tradition is not a reason for confidence before God. Tradition is not bad in and of itself. I love some of it. Some of it's really valuable. But tradition in and of itself, not a reason for confidence. Because I'm a Pharisee, which means I belong to a religious group with the most clout. Right? So it's, it's not a point of confidence for us if we belong to this church or that church or our church is part of that denomination or this denomination or non-denominational because they're the coolest, right? Um, we are, by the way, and it, we don't get points for it. There's no star by our names, right? says, listen, I'm part of that group. Doesn't matter to God. Doesn't gain you acceptance before God. He said, as far as zeal goes, I was hyper committed. I was intense in my following of God. Listen, you can be as ruggedly committed to Jesus and your quiet time and your church ministry service. I mean, you can be picking up people off the side of the road left and right to be the, the good Samaritan. You can do it with all out vigor. And that can be beautiful before the Lord if that's flowing from a Jesus responsive heart. But if it's flowing from a heart that's going, look what I've done, God. Zero reason for confidence before his holiness. He says, I'm blameless in terms of keeping the law. 600, give or take, Old Testament laws. He's going, I do them. <laughs> I'm just impressed. I would say to Paul when I see him in heaven, you telling me you remembered 600 laws? Come on now. I'd be doing good to remember six. Because <laughs> I do the law stuff, and I even do the stuff that we attach on top of that, the extra commandments. I'm doing all that, and I'm doing it blamelessly. Listen, your moral performance can be worshipped to Jesus from a Jesus-responsive heart, but if it's a heart that's trying to get the attention of Jesus, there's no reason for you to have confidence. That's exactly what Paul goes on to say in these last verses. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If I had to put it in a simplified nutshell, I would just say it this way, that the happiness 
that Jesus can bring is worth the hurt that it may cost. Paul goes, listen, all that stuff that I just talked about, my long track record that was probably impressive to you, I count it as loss. Make sure you recognize this. He didn't actually stop being or doing some of those things. He's still Jewish. <laughs> the Lord didn't change his heart. And Paul went, I'm not Jewish anymore. It's like, well, that's different. What are you? <laughs> He's still circumcised on the sixth day. He's, uh, these things are still realities for him. He says, but I count them as loss. When I look at them as objects that I might base my confidence on in life, that I might find my happiness in in life. When I look at them from that angle, I consider them a negative on the balance sheet instead of a positive on the balance sheet. That balance sheet stuff was for one of our elders, Mike Sanders. But <laughs> I'm learning, brother. He says, I count those things as loss. Some of those things I don't do anymore. Some of those things are still realities for me, but I count them as negative. I count them as loss. Why? Because if I focus in on those things and I try to prop myself up in all these different ways to find my happiness, what I really do is lose my view of Jesus. So those things are loss because they take away from my ability to find my gladness and to live with my humble confidence because of him and who he is, he says, I want to know him so badly that I want to even know what it's like to suffer with him. I want to know what it's like to hurt with him. I want to even have myself die to myself in the way that he has died. I want to share even in his death. Why? He tells us. Not that I would do these things so I could present some kind of righteousness to God and go look at this. But I want to live out this righteousness because of what? Because of what I believe. He says, faith. He says, I have believed that Jesus truly is my only hope. And I have come to believe without being able to change it even. I'm just so convinced and convicted that Jesus is the place where I will find my soul's great gladness. And therefore, because of this faith, I want to live this righteousness. I've come to believe that Jesus and life with him, imperfect as it may be, as often as I may sit and try to pursue him through prayer and reading the word and walk away going, I don't know what just happened. That felt like nothing. As many times as I may be really expecting him to do a good thing for me in my life and, and what he brings forth may be the direct opposite. Even all those things considered, I believe that knowing him and life with him is enough to be the sole basis of the happiness that I seek out. And I believe that that happiness, that joy that only he can give is worth the hardship that I'll face to seek it out. Yesterday, the beautiful Jamie and I celebrated 17 years of marriage. That's right. Well, I wasn't expecting applause. She has been difficult to put up with. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm joking, right? We celebrated 17 years. I'll sure I'll pay for that later. Anyways, we celebrated 17 years and, and we had a sitter come to the house and we went out to a nice dinner, a nice restaurant, and it turned out to be a blessing that there was a decent little wait at the restaurant. And so we went, we gave him our name, and we sat at a table outside, had our coats on, you could feel the coolness of the air against you just as much as you like it. Right, man, this is perfect. 
we just so happen, I'm not making this up, this is one of these moments from life where it feels kind of like a movie. We're sitting at this two-person table, and she's sitting across from me, and she's sitting under a street lamp, and so the light's shining down on her, and it's like, she looks like an angel, right? Like, it's, angels are not in the outfield, they're right here with me, right? That's what I'm thinking. And we're just having this sweet moment talking, and we're like, can you believe it's been 17 years? As we thought back over 17 years, there's so many laughs and there's so many good things, but listen, in 17 years, there's been struggle and strain and hardship. There's been years of month-by-month infertility that was heartbreaking and we didn't understand. There's been friendship frustration and struggle and even loss. There's been church hurt. There's been sick kids. There's been decisions that we don't know what do about there's been loss of grandparents there's been loss of parents there's been times where we had a financial plan and then life shifted and changed and our financial plan didn't fit the change and I don't know what we're gonna do we're eating about as much ramen as we can possibly eat there's been a lot of hard stuff a lot of life marking learning experience through hardship there has been grueling hard stuff and I'm not wanting to minimize any of that at all but can I just tell you that when I sat across from my wife with the light shining down on her face and she looked at me with her blue eyes and I just said you're beautiful I would not trade all of that hard stuff out of my life to get somebody else into my life and can I say to you that as awesome and wonderful and beautiful and everything positive as I can say about my wife she's still a human who's limited and broken and doesn't get it right every time. But can I tell you, there's a king named Jesus. And he's not broken and he's not limited and he never gets it wrong. And his affections toward you never dull because he's too busy or he's focused on the kids or he's whatever else. Right? He's always able to zone in and love you and care about you. And he does it specifically because he loves you and specifically because he wants to. It brings him glory. His glory and his love for you are never at odds. He's going, it is to my glory to love people. He loves you. So much so that he would die on a cross for people who were rebels against him. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus. You're in the right place. We're a bunch of imperfect people, but we know that Jesus loves us. And we want you to know that he loves you too. If if you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with God based on faith in Jesus, just know that you're amongst friends and people who would love to help you with that. Come find me when we're done. Not going to pressure you into anything. Won't tell anybody your business. Just if we can help, listen, ask questions, pray with you, let us. It's a very real God named Jesus who is very much so alive right now and very much committed to his people don't leave here not being sure that you're walking in that kind of faith. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, how has God's word pointed into your heart this morning? What specific thing has maybe God arisen up to the surface as you've heard one little part that maybe wasn't even a focal part from the preacher, but you went, man, that's, that's what God's telling me. How do we need to respond to this word? What trinkets what good things even that we've made great things what acceptable things that we've made focal things do we need to look at God and just go hey here's the deal if I have to completely let it go or, or if I can keep it part of my life in a different way but I'm going to seek my happiness in you 
It's a, it's a simple concept, but it's going to be a whole different thing to live. But that's why we need a church and we need each other to do it together and figure it out. The call on our lives today, clearly from God's word, is will we be a people who enjoy all the stuff of life, but who first have sought our happiness solely in Jesus? Finally, my brothers and I would add sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to say these things to you again, and it is safe for you. How do we respond to God's word? Let's pray. Father, I praise you. I again am simultaneously convicted by the truth that I get to preach and have a heart filled with encouragement by that same truth. We sang that the resurrected king is resurrecting us. I pray that right now, even in this moment, you would resurrect a hope in some of us, a hope that you're truly worth being all of our happiness. You can pull that off, and not just that you can, but that you want to. That we can have a deep gladness, a deep happiness that can be present even in the midst of our greatest sadness. Life is complex for us, Jesus, but you are so clearly for us and so clearly good. I pray that you would Move our hearts in how it is that we respond, how it is that we might worship you through our lives, might alter our lives in order to rejoice in you. Show us what that looks like. I pray that you would give us the courage to reach out to a friend. Just tell them about the commitment of repentance we're making. Ask them to pray. Ask for accountability, for help. I pray that you would just call us, some of us in this place, maybe to the very first step of just saying, I will Make a committed run at seeking my happiness in Jesus. God, make it clear to us how we respond to your word today. And I pray that you would be evident to us as you answer our prayers. And as you bless our efforts to seek our happiness in you. Start with me. Please. I ask all this for your high and holy name, Jesus. Amen.